0: Hello and welcome to The Connected Mindset. I'm your host, Greg Tomchik, and each week we bring you the stories and strategies to help connect you to your wildest dreams. Today's episode is presented by Valor Cybersecurity, simplified cybersecurity solutions for your business. Today's guest is somebody that I'm extremely excited to have on the show. Spencer Snedecore III is somebody that came into my life when my mindset and my business needed to be shaken up, to get it to its next level. Spencer's been part of multiple exits and commercializing technologies to bring them to the world in unconventional ways. I know he's gonna provide some insights to you to help you get your career or your business to the next level. So without further ado, let's dive in. (laughs) (laughs) The perfect, the perfect, the sir, thanks so much for joining us and welcome to the show. Good morning, Greg. It's great to be with you today. Absolutely. You now, looking forward to diving in. We have a lot of uh, ground to cover. Um, you've been a hugely impactful person in my life and looking forward to bringing that to the wider audience here. Um, I think one of the things that we discussed early on, um, you know, common times in our business were very kind of put into a box, you know, with our specialty, with the thing that we want to really bring to the world. And I think one of the things that really hit home with me is kind of zooming out and having some thinking time, uh, making sure we're kind of seeing things from a, a high level and then kind of dive into our business and use you know, some of those lessons. And I think you've seen that through your career and the different um, products, solutions that you've put out into the world. Um, and you've been able to be that person who can kind of zoom out and, and have everybody at the table kind of focus on that thinking time. So I want to start off with kind of that subject. you know, your thoughts on thinking time, you know why it doesn't happen enough, and what people that are listening in today can kind of use to uh, you know put that into their life, put that into their business.
1: Well, it's a great topic to begin with. I think that uh, critical thought process and taking the time to um, proactively engage in that is not only required for success in business, but I think it makes you a healthy professional when you carve out that time to really uh, think about all your different options. Uh, For me, um, growing up in the technology world over the past uh, 35 plus years and being in the market through so many different evolutionary uh, technologies from Uh, PC computing to personal device, smartphone computing, and now all all the way to cloud computing. There's been a constant um, theme of trying to figure out the best way to monetize, Uh, from my perspective, how do you make money growing a business? How do you take your business to uh, address problems that people understand that they have and figure out a way that you can do it profitably and provide value, not only to your customers, but to yourself. And many times it just requires that you sit down and think through what your options are. And probably one of the best lessons that I learned early on, I was involved with a couple of different freeware type technologies where you give it away for free and then you have to figure out how do you convert it to make money with it to obviously stay in business. And when you are faced with something that people like and use and there's a free aspect, how do you change that perspective and how do you build value around that? There's different things that you should go through to, um, think through all your different options. And what I often find is when people are in the heat of the battle in the heat of the moment, they are reactive. And that's a good thing to be reactive, um, to try to think on your feet as quickly as you can, but there's no substitute for the, the other side of that coin, which is being proactive and just carving out some time to think through your options. I know when you and I first started working together, you were in the heat of the moment with some disappointing results to some business proposals and uh, trying to figure out how you could correct course midstream. And there are certainly things you learn to do and you can work on in midstream if you're aware of your situation and, and try to handle the objection or change course to meet the customer's needs, et cetera. But the reality is, when the dust settles from that particular fire at the moment, um, it's incumbent upon you to figure out where you just will set aside some time to think through your overall business, your overall state of mind, and do it in such a manner that you have the time to reflect and think through the options proactively as opposed to being reactive.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I think it really sets the tone for this discussion. You know, we either react or we respond. Common times, the reaction is very reactive and it's very um, kind of uncontrolled. Um, But the response is very, um, you know, I'm in control of this outcome and I can kind of do it in a proactive manner by that preparation, but also uh, making sure that I kind of take a step back to say, what am I really doing here and how can I create the best possible outcome? So I think that's that's critical for the audience here. You know, oftentimes we're just in um doing mode we're constantly you know we're running 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 and we don't take the time to kind of stretch and think about you know our form and things of that nature so I think that's that's something that's critical um I'd love to dive into that kind of you know the free the freeware to paid aspect and you know how you kind of shift people's mind around that because I think that's critical especially in the business that you were in it was so early on you had to kind of educate the customer you know, give them something for free so they could touch and feel it and really experience it, and then say we want to find a way to really, um, you know, bring more value to this so people want to pay for it or change the mindset with the customer to help them bridge that gap between this is something that I value, so I will put my, you know, monetary assets to it. Sure. Well,
1: the uh, main. Uh, event, and opportunity that shaped my professional career was getting involved with pretty good privacy encryption, PGP encryption, which was released uh, to the world in the late 90s by a gentleman named Phil Zerman, an academic who created PGP. Um, At the time, it was uh, published open source code so that you could have peer review to understand the algorithms and the encryption methodologies behind it that would... um, Enabled you to have peace of mind as to its strength, and at the time it was considered to be unbreakable. It was given away as a free uh, utility tool that you could use to encrypt your uh, digital trans, uh, your digital uh, work product, whether it be email or files, etc. And it was individuals, public, built around public key cryptography. And the reality was that it, it, it early on. In the days of the internet taking over um, in, in the early 2000s, people quickly became concerned about, well, if I have certain confidential information or proprietary work product, et cetera, I want to keep it private. I don't want people to be able to intercept it or snoop on it or you know read what I'm writing an email or read about the uh, unique uh, patent opportunity that I have or whatever. And so the technology was initially given away for free and that was great for individuals. But as um, we evolved and there was uh, a requirement to how do we monetize this and make money, we came up with, we spent a lot of time thinking about how we were gonna make money with the product. And I was uh, fortunate enough to be a member of the initial management team that brought PGP to the marketplace and we came up with the idea that we should, uh, to be successful selling it to corporate customers on a global basis, there would, would be some ease of use provided to be able to manage keys and mandate policy that people had to use the encryption. And they had to use, um, they, they had to post their um, public keys on a server that could be used in in, uh, in concert with directory services to make it easy for the technology to be used in mass and as a result when we talked to the corporate customers they said you know i would really like to use i I think my people should be using this to protect our corporate intellectual property but the reality is when it's just out there all over the place i have no control over it and how do i know if they're using um encryption when they should be or they're not etc and so by developing a technology that in enabled uh, policy enforcement at the mail gateway, in this particular case, we came up with a value proposition that was unique and that people saw the value in and were willing to pay for. So yes, the individuals could use PGP for free and that got it out there in the marketplace, but in a different setting using that technology, in the corporate uh, larger setting, where they wanted to manage the keys and manage policy, uh, to ensure that their employees were using the encryption in a certain way we put a now we came up with the idea of having a policy management server and that's what you paid for. And so there was an upsell uh, uh, process that enabled us to ramp the revenues and drive the revenues and we were able to successfully convert a f- what had traditionally been a freeware product to a payware product and uh, that technology has been, bought and sold a couple of times in the open market through mergers and acquisitions, but um, today it's uh, owned and controlled by Broadcom who bought Symantec.
0: Yeah, Symantec's a huge company now and they're, they're, they're on a lot of the machines that we depend on today. Huh. Um, so it's pretty impressive to be there. And that's
1: a, that's another interesting legacy product in that Symantec as a company sadly no longer exists. It's been about all the products from the, the uh, antivirus and the PGP and the different aspects, they've all been acquired and owned by Broadcom, most of them. Mm-hmm. So there's their legacy out there, they're marketed and sold and maintained
0: um, by a larger corporate entity. <laughs> Yeah one of the things I saw the, the other day was that there's not a market for startup ideas and kind of how, how long, how critical the bridge is between that idea, you know that idea of kind of you know pretty good privacy, all the way to the commercialization of it and, and kind of starting to sell that product or solution. and um, anything you kind of learned as common themes from you know that you, know, you guys knew you had a great product that people needed but getting it into the hands and creating that policy server. You know, anything you saw in between that, that process that really stuck out to you that you really were able to leverage as you went on to different endeavors?
1: Well, there's a consistent theme, and that's a very good question. When I work with a lot of early stage entrepreneurs and um, uh, advise them and mentor uh, many of them, you, ide- as an entrepreneur, you, you identify a problem that you think people want to solve and the value of that problem being solved correlates directly to how quickly your solution is adopted and how much people will pay for it if it's a pressing urgent problem that people rec- easily recognize and have quantified the impact to their business then you have a unique opportunity to position your value proposition as something that they must have and it's justifiable relative to the expense that you're asking them to pay. If, if I understand that I have a, a, a million dollar problem a year by um, in, in a certain business process and you've got a new technological solution or business solution that addresses that problem and impacts me having to spend that money or uh, save that money, then I'm going to be much more receptive to paying you some money to license or use your product or solution because I can directly see how it corresponds to my, my problem that I have. So there's an, an adage that I have often uh, share, especially with early first-time entrepreneurs in the technology space, is people don't buy technology for technology's sake. It's it, it's in our lives, in everything we do today, um, we can't, uh, you know, every, everybody has their, their smartphone and uh, everybody is, um, you know, uh, tethered to it in some form or fashion. And we all have a, our, our way of leveraging it to our benefit but it costs you money to engage on that, so you're making a value judgment as a consumer as to, well, the money I spend every month with a a cell phone carrier or buying the phone in the first place, it's worth it because I have access to do certain things in my daily life. And so whenever you uh, come up with a new product or service or solution, you wanna make sure that it's tied, if, if your goal is to make money with it, you wanna make sure that it's tied to a defined problem or monetary economic opportunity that you can show demonstrable impact that people are gonna have that, that light bulb moment where they're gonna go, oh, I get it, I need to have this, I wanna have this.
0: Yeah, and what do, you, what do you think that takes from the buyer standpoint? Does it always have to connect to ROI? This is something you know, we always talk about in cybersecurity. It's not always a revenue generating um, outcome, but it's a revenue protection outcome. Um, you know, what have you seen in kind of your your experience there with how the buyer connects to actually spending their value for receiving value? Does it have to connect to ROI, or can it be something deeper? That's a really good question.
1: It depend. The answer is it depends how you define ROI, return on investment. Um, most people quickly draw the conclusion that return on investment has to equal dollars and cents some way, somehow. And that is usually a large part of it, but sometimes you'll have situations where people aren't motivated by dollars and cents uh, directly. They might be motivated by in this particular case with cybersecurity services, as you and I have talked, they're, they're motivated by protecting their brand. They're motivated by protecting their other services, which may not, there may not be a direct link to dollars and cents that they are uh, concerned about. So um, you, you have to ask the questions of your target customers, your prospects, to understand what is the value that they expect by using your good or service. And once you understand what their definition of value is, then you have to think through how you're gonna position your solution such that they understand and agree that there's value in using what you're trying to sell them or service them with, they see the value and therefore they wanna engage, right? So people only buy for one of two reasons I've grown to appreciate in, in the world of sales, leaving sales. They either want to buy something because they have to it's or they want to. And when you have to buy something, it's usually it's, it's mandated, it's compliance, it's legally government required, whatever, um, you know, it's. In, in many ways it's, it's like buying life insurance everybody knows they really should have some but they're kind of loath to really want to engage to evaluate it and buy it so it, it can be a begrudging type situation unless you have a market message that uh, connects people that engages them in the topic and gets them to understand to the point where you're viewed as a consultative uh, expert in your field and if you're making a suggestion that you should have this type of additional service or product, then they're going to be receptive to saying, okay, I'll, I'll buy that. Okay. The other side of that coin is they want to buy it. Okay. And that is where they see, um, usually they see clear return on investment. And the, and one of the easiest ways of that is to have hard dollars and cents that you can show your prospects that if you pay x for my product or service you'll achieve y in return and when people can see that kind of a analysis they're quick most people are quick to rationally engage and
0: make a decision to purchase your product or your service yeah, I think it, it comes down to that mentality of you know the buying process, which I think is often complicated, um, but you broke it down in a pretty clear way. You either have to do it or you want to do it. Um, right. And, and that's the, the, the simple way to put it um, at the end of the day. And you have to be solving a problem, like you said. And it's a
1: challenge in today's market because over the last 10 or so years, especially for the younger entrepreneurs, we've, we've kind of risen up in the uh, business ecosystem where so much is, the perception is so much of the goods and services are available for free, quote unquote. Um, you know, it, it, it can warp your perception as to how you position your good or service. And, um, at the end of the day, if you're beholden to your investors, whether you're self-funded or you have outside investors, you have to acknowledge that you've got to have a proper business plan in place that can drive revenues such that it covers more than just your costs. We're in it for a profit to make money. Okay. And, um, from that perspective you really need to this gets back to the beginning of this conversation on you know thinking through your options and thinking through your market and taking a look at what you're doing how you're doing it and who your target customer is what their response will be and how you want to engage them to at the end of the day make it a win-win that they get what they want and you get what you want um so that you're able to be a successful business that has staying power.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's, and it's so it's kind of so painful and so you know difficult, you know, to build a company because there's so many dynamics at play. And you know, you're you're trying to you know get the right people in there. You're trying to make sure your solution matches the customer. You're getting feedback. You know, you're trying to make a profit, as you mentioned. Um, So there's so many things kind of working together that have to be fit, you know, all all kind of piece piece by piece to build a company that sustains. Um, And one of the things you mentioned to me early on is kind of the three or four Ps around predictability, Um, and and that's something that I didn't really see in past companies that I was at um, trying to build that predictability. Can you talk a little bit about? kind of those P's that you mentioned early on to me. And that's one of the things that really clicked in my head on, you know, we know people need cybersecurity, but how do we intentionally build, you know, the right model that's going to get us to be able to continue to grow at a, at a, uh, you know, pace well, that we want to see. Yes. I think you're
1: to a, a good uh, topic to talk about because it's more than just a cybersecurity service. You can be selling widgets or coffee or, you know, some kind of new SaaS software solution or whatever uh, parts for a ship. At the end of the day, um, my guidance and counsel with the uh, companies that I work with, it's it's what is the, what I call it, the ABLE part of your business plan, A-B-L-E. And that is, is your process repeatable? I mean, anybody can come up with a product or service and sell it one time, okay? But can you repeat that sales process? You know, is the market such that it's repeatable? Um, the second piece is, is it predictable? You know, are you able to predict with reasonable accuracy when uh, this they're gonna buy something or you're gonna be successful? Obviously you've got a business to run, you've got payroll to make, you've got investors to place. Um, You've got employees that are wondering, I'm building all this. Is it ever, you know, is what's in it for, you know, building the company? What's in it for me? So you have to be able to, as, as a leader of a company and a founder and an entrepreneur, you have to have operate with, with predictability. You have to keep that. So you have to be predictable. The next thing that I always coach people on is it needs to be scalable. Um, you know, you don't want something that's just going to be a one trick pony one and done. It's very difficult to maintain and keep your, um, uh, you know, keep your lights on when you don't have something that's sustainable. So, you know, is it sustainable? Does it have growth capabilities? You know, is the market opportunity there that you can really build something? So from there, um, the, the, uh, you, you get from scale to then you get to the last two are sustainability and val- uh, is it sustainable and is it valuable? Um, and value obviously is in the eye of the beholder. If you're an entrepreneur and you're self-funded and you don't have to answer anybody to other than to yourself and your mission is to be, be very altruistic and give back to the market or whatever, then value is in the eye of the beholder. It's your business. That's great. But if you, have outside investors, whether it's friends and family, or it's a venture capitalist, they're gonna define value very differently. And you need to be attuned with how how you're building that value, so is the business valuable? And so if you do all these three things and you focus on them and take the time to think through how your operational business plan is in place to support this, do I have a process that's repeatable? Is my process predictable? Is it scalable? Is it sustainable? And is it valuable? And if you do all those three things and you master that as an entrepreneur, you can become incredibly successful and control your destiny,
0: which is really why most
1: people go into business in the first place.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, the ables. You know, it, it, it enables the business to have longevity, um, It right. enables the business to grow in a way that we envision when we first start the company. You know, we want we we know this problem exists. We want to build something, you know, that that gets it there. But that bridge, as I kind of mentioned earlier, is so it's it's so long and kind of complex. And there's a lot of different confusing aspects of that bridge between idea and actually you know, selling that first one or, you know, really getting to the point where you're like, my company is now at a place where I'm I'm more comfortable with, you know, innovating and doing things that are a little bit unconventional to kind of shift the market.
1: Absolutely.
0: Awesome. That's, yeah, that's that's a huge one, I think, for the audience, whether you're starting a company now or have had a company for 20 years, I think we have to kind of, you know, go back to that thinking time. Um, I think that right. we started with and and kind of look at things a little bit differently and evolve the business as the market comes together, but as more information comes out on better, more focused ways to build companies. And I think you hit you hit that uh, nail on the head from that standpoint.
1: I um, would well, uh, I would well. offer to segue into uh, an area that I'm uh, very passionate about relative to when when you consider how you build your business value proposition to you know, find a solution that is of value to your target customers. I'm very, uh, I advocate practicing what I call the three L's. And um, those are to look, listen, and learn. And um, I think that when you uh, practice the three L's on a regular discipline basis, it um it keeps your mind sharp and it keeps your business plan really sharp and focused because you're constantly looking at your market, your target prospects, you're listening to what people are saying and you're learning you can learn from competition you can learn from um, uh, from other market influences most importantly you learn from your mistakes because uh, you know the uh, I like to say the only bad decision is no decision and if if you're if you become, uh, paralyzed through your analysis process and you don't ever make a decision, it can really impact your opportunity to learn and to really grow, uh, which positions you for ongoing success.
0: Absolutely. One of the things I like to say, and it was it an was analogy from baseball is you can use lessons either as a blessing or a curse. Um, and I think a lot of times we use lessons as a curse um, just because it's, holy cow, I made this mistake. You know, it was the worst thing that ever happened and I'm never going to get over it. And we get into this hurricane of negativity. Um, but, you know, you're you you you're alluding to the the key point that in order to grow a company, you have to use them as lessons. Because if you're just constantly looking in the rearview mirror, you know, you can't really, you're not looking, you're not listening, you're not learning because you're so focused on trying to correct that thing that happened and using it as a curse while, rather than a, potential blessing for where your business or where your life is headed at the end of the day.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I I think that I would add to that, that um, it's good to see on the East Coast. I've been East Coast oriented all of my uh, life. Uh, I was fortunate enough that um, 30 years ago, I was able to catch on with um, Silicon Valley based startup kind of company. So I experienced the ecosystem where failure was expected and you learn from failure in Silicon Valley and on the east coast that historically has been frowned upon that if if you if you strike out you're a failure okay to use a baseball uh, analogy whereas what you would know with your baseball career, well what you just learned is what kind of pitch the pitcher's going to throw so the next time you'll be prepared for it okay and so the um, what what I have grown to really appreciate, and I've been very pleased to see in the startup ecosystem as I'm involved helping entrepreneurs around the country um, and in startup organizations around like the seven five seven startup scene here in Hampton Roads, or um, I'm a longtime member of the Research Triangle Park, North Carolina startup community. Those those communities are now um, in the uh, you know, in the current time are much more um, forgiving and uh, embracing of people who have tried something and failed, because they realize the value in the lessons learned. Okay. And um, so for years, it only, it used to be, that was only acceptable in Silicon Valley. In fact, uh, one of the criteria that uh, various investment firms would make years ago was, okay, well, if I'm going to invest in this CEO, this founding management team, how, how many failures have they had? How much have they learned so far? So uh, uh, the probability is pretty good that if I invest in them this time, they'll apply those lessons learned, and they won't—they—they they won't be as inclined to fail versus somebody that had never experienced that before. Uh, it was—it was, it was a, a, a something to consider. Uh, that line of thinking never used to be considered on the East Coast. In fact, it was—it was just the total opposite of that. If you had a failure, then you were somehow that's not going to be anything acceptable and we could never invest in that person or you'd never want to have that person speak in front of a group because my goodness they failed and etc so i think what's come about as as uh, you know the internet has come of age as uh, small business entrepreneurialism has come of age and all these different accelerators are out there the lessons that we're able to teach and and the, the mentorship that um the old guys such as myself are able to offer is we got where we are. Um, and we have the, the, as I like to say, we have the gray hair on our head and the scars on our back because we survived and we learned and we adapted. Okay. And, um, those, those are very, very important lessons to learn and it makes you a much better,
0: um, entrepreneur going forward. Yeah. I, I used to tell, you know, players kind of that failure fitness, you know, you're, you're kind of, you're exercising that muscle of failing. Um, oftentimes as I saw people rise through the, the minor league and the major league system within major league baseball, the guys that were able to kind of fail a little bit early on and then get up to the top, you, you realize when failure came, they were much more composed, but the people that were successful through high school, through college, know, up to the major leagues, oftentimes when that failure first hit them, it it kind of, you know, they crumbled um, because they weren't, you know, fit in that aspect, which I think is very transferable to entrepreneurship. Um, I still don't see many venture capital companies, private equity companies value that as a character trait. Um, But, you know, with that, do you see a consistent kind of valuation of the the entrepreneur from a venture capital investor? Um, standpoint, and do you think that that failure fitness, that past track record of potential, you know, failures that turn into lessons, do you see that as a part of the criteria, you know, at whether you're investing uh, or you see other investors putting their kind of value into into folks?
1: That's a that's a really good question, and I think the answer is for the astute, uh, experienced. Um, a worldly uh, investor, they're absolutely gonna uh, value that. And in particular, uh, this ties back to our initial talk line about critical thought process and being reactive versus proactive. There's a time and a place. I I personally think people don't spend enough time being proactive in their thought process, thinking through the different aspects. And that, I would submit that's a learned behavior. And we talked about that earlier today. Um, or, or, or disciplined behavior where you got to work it into your routine to just proactively take time to think about what's going on. But the value that in the different failures or the objections and, and failures come in all different sizes, if you're in sales and you had the greatest product that meets a need and everybody knows they need to meet, meet the need, and you've got a great value proposition, a wonderful marketing pitch, and you go and you make your pitch, but unfortunately the guy says, no, nope, I'm not buying or the lady says, no, nope, I'm not buying. So that's a failure. You didn't accomplish your goal, but what did you learn from that? Okay, you know, what, and it's what you learn and how you package that, that makes you that much stronger to come back at it, okay? And then you become a much better reactive thinker because to react in the heat of the moment and course correct or panel, panel the objection, you're having to pull from those life experiences that you've had before, okay? And um, there, there's probably a great analogy here as I'm thinking and talking about this to your experience with baseball, in that if you have this um, uh, opportunity to be up against a certain pitcher and you understand what kind of pitches they're going to throw and the speed at which it's coming, you'll, as a batter, you'll get a chance to become uh, more prepared and you'll have a higher probability of getting a hit against that pitcher the next time you see them, okay? and. And so it, you take life's experiences, what is coming at you, um, and you internalize it to the point where you make it beneficial to help you succeed in your goals. And uh, that's the value of kind of getting knocked down and getting back up on your feet quickly.
0: What, what kind of brought you to, to have that light bulb moment? And we don't have to dive into, you know, I know it's multiple experiences, multiple um, kind of, you know, situations that brought you to that. But I still feel like, you know, a lot of the, the folks that you know, I interact with periodically are still trying to come to that enlightenment, that realization of, you know, you, we all talk about it kind of using your lessons and you know, using them as blessings or things that elevate you. But was there anything that kind of either happened or some consistencies that you found through your career that said, holy cow, I'm going to really start using some of these you know, obstacles and pain points to create a better you know, outcome or future um, in your own mindset? Well, perf- that's, a, that's a really
1: good question. And for me personally, I'm cut out of the sales cloth. So... I was, uh, when when I graduated from the University of Maryland, I was hired by Xerox Corporation. And in the 80s, Xerox was known as one of the sales and marketing, you know, expert companies that you wanted to work for. And uh, they would train you to be the best. I actually was fortunate enough in my Xerox career to spend two years as a Xerox sales school instructor in Leesburg, Virginia, teaching sales training. And um, so it becomes ingrained in your, in your professional dna and from that perspective then if you're going to be successful um, selling you've got to handle objections and if you're going to be motivated to be at the top of your craft and to climb the ladder to be whether it's the number one sales rep or the number one pitcher on a ball team you've got to perfect your craft and you've got to handle those objections okay so i don't think anybody starts a business with the idea that they're gonna be second best and they just wanna make enough money to pay the bills. I think everybody goes into it thinking, I've got something unique. I know I'm, I'm uniquely gifted. I've got a unique service. I've got the best. I am the best. I wanna be the best, okay? It just takes a commitment to uh, put yourself out there and to learn from your experiences. And um, from from my perspective early on, it was uh, sort of ingrained that well, if you're in sales, of course you want to be at the top of the stack ranking. You want to be in, you, you want to be in the top one percent of all the Xerox salespeople, and you know, and and that that made an indelible impression upon me. And then once I took the uh, uh, the jump to startups, it was well, I I have a family to support. I I we need to be successful. I've got in, investors. I've got um, employees that are joining me in this venture. And so you, you have to, uh, kind of dig deep to your gut to say, I will succeed. I will figure something out. Um, that's not to say you don't get your nose bloodied and and you fall on your face from time to time, but you got to pick yourself up, dust yourself off and be driven to say, I can do this. I'm getting back in the fight. I'm going to figure it out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. I think I, that was with Mike Tyson.
1: Absolutely.
0: <laughs> but I think it's incredible to, you know, that mindset I think is, is so important. Um, and, you know, one of the ways we like to round out the show is, you know, kind of get your thoughts on, you know, top two, top three mindsets that, you know, anybody needs to be successful in today's world. Obviously, there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of moving parts. Um, I think that that consistency of you know, it's resilience, but it's, you know, making sure you have the right incentives at play. Um, any other mindsets that stick out that you would you know, recommend really to anybody across the board? You know, you've built a great life. You've, you've seen great success in business. Um, and, you know, you, you, I know you've seen consistencies that you recommend. You, you've given us a lot to walk away with today. Um, but any other kind of mindsets you would suggest just for the, the person looking to learn and get themselves to the next step in their, in their life or in their business?
1: I think I would sum it up with this, that, um, at the end of the day, people talk about work-life balance, but you really have to focus You, you number one. You have to understand what that means to you as an individual. And then you really have to keep it top of mind to focus on that. I, I would, I would submit that, um, it starts with a healthy being, a healthy person. Um, you've got to be, um, you've got to be spiritually healthy and right with yourself. You know, if you don't have your mental health, uh, you don't have, um, in my opinion, you're you're severely handicapped to really achieve any kind of success. You've got to be mentally right upstairs, um, and a lot of that then leads to your emotional centeredness. However, you define that, if you're if you're married and you have a spouse, if you have a partner, you have, uh, you have a family, whatever, you've got to keep all of that in proper context and perspective. Um, physically fit, you know, you you need to you need to exercise not only your mind, but your entire body. Um, and and then intellectually challenged you know, engage, we talked through about uh, my three L's earlier, the look, listen and learn, you know, um, if if you're there, there's an old saying, if you're not learning, you're not earning. Um, because when you learn new things, you find new opportunities, new ways to improve uh, your own personal performance or your business performance, etc. Um, but at, when you add all that up, it all goes into hopefully making you a very successful professional. But a job is a means to the end, right? And um, at the end of the day, it's your own personal happiness that kind of keeps you centered and keeps uh, keeps you engaged. I mean, I I enjoy what I do. I enjoy being out working with small companies. I enjoy working with executive management teams and specifically CEOs and working through different business issues and challenges. It's something new. It keeps... uh, It keeps me fresh. It gives me the opportunity to exercise my mind. It also allows me to share the wisdom that I've uh, gained through all the years in the workforce and the successes that I've had, but equally as important pull from the experiences that, uh, I failed at because, um, you know, through failure, you become stronger. Right? So, um, bottom line is you personal happiness, it comes down to work life balance. That means a little bit, uh, something different for everybody. But I think if you're spiritually, emotionally, physically, and intellectually rounded as an individual, you have a much higher probability of being successful in life and successful in your career uh, and uh, enabling your success. So that's what that. I would uh, summarize with.
0: Yeah, you, you talked a lot about the balls that we're all trying to keep in the air, You know, the physical, the mental the emotional and the intellectual, you know, you're, we're always trying to kind of balance those and, and connect them in the right, you know, equation for us at that time. Um, and it's not, you know, it's not the same for everybody. And I think that's what makes it complex. You know, your life is going to be different than mine, you know, different from the person next door. Um, so we have to kind of take that into equation, take what works for somebody potentially and try to integrate it into our life, get rid of the things that aren't working and and really double down on the things that, that are working, Um, you know, you started with those internal aspects, you know, the the mental, the intellectual, the emotional, um, which I think, you know, what's going on on our internal side is what we bring to the world, whether we believe it or not, um, which I think is is critical. And it's a part of why we created this show um, to help people connect to those those mindsets around, you know, those four aspects of life. Um, So kind of rounding things out. One of the questions we like to ask everybody I'm um, kind of concluding the show is, you know, what is being connected mean to you um, and kind of how you live your life? That's a uh, that, that's
1: a, a, a fabulous question. I'm glad you put that in all of your different uh, podcasts. Um, so connectivity to me, uh, as, as I look at uh, being in the professional world for all these years. Um, Connectivity uh, for me is the ability to reach and stay in touch with different people that i have been fortunate enough to uh, work with and socialize with over the years. And I've had global responsibilities in my career and I've been fortunate to travel to different continents for business deals. But along the way, then you learn about different cultures, you learn about different people and you learn uh, and you meet fascinating people who have different points of view, different personal values, different uh, cultural values, etc. So being connected to me, and one of the things I enjoy about uh, LinkedIn and and these type of forums by way of LinkedIn is I can stay in touch with a lot of those different contacts that I've made over the years, and uh, um, it's it's gratifying to you know hear from friends in the UK or hear from friends in Australia or hear from friends in South America, whatever, um, Japan, et cetera, that I've had the opportunity to to work with and then get to know. And um, I think that it uh, continues to help me learn and build my intellectual capacity. Um, when you're connected to different people in different parts of the world and you're connected through different um, uh, organizations, it, it definitely helps keep your perspective fresh and uh, gives you, uh, I think, a much more open mind so that when you get into that uh, proactive thought process, you're well conditioned to consider lots of different angles on how you, what you might do with your time, what, how you might solve a problem, how you might advance your business, or what you might do 10 years from now when you're doing something totally different.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Spencer, I just want to acknowledge you for you know really sharing you know the lessons you've learned the experiences um, you know I think that's something that you know is, is very admirable it's something that people need more of you know people in our position um, people beside you and and that's what makes the world a better place to live um, I commonly talk about you know a lot of times we make the same mistakes that others around us have made and we're just kind of going around this wheel through civilization and through society but if we can take, what people have learned and really start there and then kind of build from there then everything becomes better around us. Um, so I think it's incredible. Uh, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, thanks so much for the time. And I think the audience is really going to get a lot from this session.
1: Thank you very much for having me. It's been, uh, been uh, most enjoyable and an honor to share some thoughts and wisdom with you in the audience. I wish everybody continued success and, uh, we'll look forward to seeing
0: you in the business community. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Spencer. Bye.